Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. We are so desperate for our maker and redeemer to be near to us as that name promises, Emmanuel, God with us. So now as we open up the Bible, the written word, we pray that you'll send forth your Holy Spirit so that we might hear from the living word, our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. On December 24th, 1865, an American and a borrowed horse rode out of the darkened gates of Jerusalem. Christmas Eve, Phillips Brooks was a young minister in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the time and he decided to leave the revelry of Jerusalem behind. They said, don't go. They said, it's not safe, but he went. He got on that horse and he rode through the gates out into the night as though he were looking for something. What was Phillips Brooks looking for? I don't know. Whatever it was, it must have been something he couldn't find in his ministry. He was on sabbatical, exhausted from years of service. Whatever it was, it must have been something he couldn't find in his social activism. He was an ardent abolitionist. Whatever it was, it must have been something he couldn't find in his national identity. Abraham Lincoln had just been shot in the Ford Theater. Phillips Brooks was crushed. Whatever it was, it was something he couldn't find in his popularity. Having preached Lincoln's memorial service in Pennsylvania just a few months before this journey outside of Jerusalem, he had become the nation's darling. He'd been discovered. He'd gone viral. Whatever it was that he went out to find that night, he seemed to find it. By all accounts, Phillips Brooks would be changed that night. Whatever it was he found, he found two hours later when that horse rode him into little town of Bethlehem. What we do have from that night is a prayer. Be born in us tonight. Those words sound familiar to you? Those are the words of Phillips Brooks. He wrote this hymn for children that we call O Little Town of Bethlehem. He wrote it three years later, no doubt with that firsthand experience in mind. Be born in us today. It's a cry for a new beginning, for a fresh start, for new life. And it's a prayer that the Lord would do in us today what he did back then in Bethlehem. Well, this Advent season, I want to pray this prayer with you. I, I want to learn together what this prayer means and what it is to pray this prayer. And as we do, I want to keep in mind the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who when he grew up would say to a man named Nicodemus in the dead of night, you must be born again. Intriguing. Well, in the scripture reading we have for today, we find Mary, mother of Jesus, and Joseph pondering that prayer, I think. So let's pull out our Bibles. Let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 51 uh, together. 
If you're in the room, you can pull out the black book in front of you and pull, turn to page 833, kind of the end there. And wherever you are, um, open up a Bible, navigate over to Luke 2, verse 41. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. We stand as a way to honor our Savior, Jesus Christ, the living word. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. And they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Let's explore the theme of this text the surprise of this text and the invitation of this text. See, I think you and I come to Advent like Mary and Joseph, searching for the son. This is the theme of the text and the word that Luke keeps repeating, searching, looking for, eagerly searching. His mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? I like this approach. Uh, Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Why did you do this to us? Now we've had to search for you. They're searching for their son. I have to say, I've always found this passage a little bit of a relief to me as a parent and maybe for you as a parent as well, if you are one. I mean, if the Holy Family can lose track of their child for three days, maybe I'm not doing so badly after all, right? They lose him in the festivities. They lose Jesus. Now we can understand how this might have happened to them. There would have been a large caravan that traveled from Nazareth, uh, extended family, friends, neighbors. They all come together and they trust each other. They care for each other's kids. And we understand you 12 year olds, it's like you have a mind of your own. It's like you're your own people, you know? So yeah, we can kind of understand this, but you can also imagine the conversation that happens at the end of the day when they discover he's not with you. I thought he was with you. Why, you had him yesterday, but I was just assuming. What do we think about assuming, right? You know how how that conversation goes? And so they search. With great anxiety, Luke tells us in verse 48. And the word that Luke uses there is the word that describes deep pain, torment, distress. I've been looking for you in our deep pain. 
They've been looking for their own child. They've been looking as though their own lives depended on finding him. And I think we know something about that. I think we also are searching for the son. There's something inside of us, something searching. We're searching in our own anxiety. We're searching in our own deep pain. We may come with friends and family or we may come alone, lost in the crowd. But there we are. It seems like in Seattle and in America, the whole town is caught up in the festivities. Uh, and, And yet we hope that somewhere there might be behind it all a son, the son. And so we sing, oh little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the, thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I often say that those of us who are raised in church may at some point step out of Sunday school. I, you know, I know, sixth grade or 12th grade, we just sort of step out but we continue in regular school. And so eventually what happens is we're asking college or graduate level questions about life. And when we think about God, all we have are sixth grade answers about Jesus. And of course it's not satisfying. Somewhere along the way we lose Jesus. Somewhere along the way we wake up and we realize, oh my gosh, he's not with me. Oh my gosh, I'm not sure he was ever with me. And yet there is within us this yearning for him. We're still looking. Maybe it's a little bit of a song that you can't get out of your head from shopping at Bartels. Maybe you come to church with a friend. Maybe you hazard to say a prayer at the dinner table or maybe just privately as you lie in the darkness at night. You may not buy the whole story, but there's a sense that a hauntedness about it. There's a sense that you want to believe that it's true. And so uh, this season, we turn to those who are around us and we, we search for the son. We say, have you seen the son? Have you seen him? Was he once with you? Do you know where we might find him? We come to Advent, what, I'm, what I'm saying is we come to Advent like Mary and Joseph. We're searching for the son and that's the theme of this text. But secondly, here's the surprise of the text. We come to this surprise. When they find the son, Mary and Joseph find a startling relationship with God, something very unexpected. See, here's the surprise. My father. Do you hear what they said? heard Jesus say? My father. This is a startling relationship. Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? or be about my father's interest, my father. Can you imagine what that sounded like to Joseph's ears? I mean, even knowing he's not the biological father, Joseph's going, and who exactly am I, right? I mean, and young man, who exactly do you think it is that puts the food on your table? Do I not count for anything? And he's saying, didn't you know I'd be with my father? Father, indeed, Joseph says. This is a surprise. This is a scandal. Jesus is born of God, 
and he seems to know it. Keep in mind, this is the first recorded words of Jesus anywhere. These words, you're, you're reading them today. This is what he says first. And he speaks about God in the strange way that he's gonna speak about God throughout his whole life. It's a little bit unnerving. My father. No one said that at the time. No one had ever said that in the history of Israel. No one would have dared. It would have been blasphemy to have uttered those two words together. My father, speaking of God. I mean, no, they would say, the God of my fathers. Mary and Joseph would have said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they never would have said my father or our father. How irresponsible, cavalier could you be? No, no. And yet, God had spoken of Israel as a son, as a firstborn son. This is part of the story that they're here in Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover feast and the language of the feast. Remember, the Lord says to Moses, you tell Pharaoh, Israel, these slaves, this is my firstborn son, Exodus 4. Or later, Hosea, the prophet, says, the Lord says through him, out of Egypt I called my son. By the way, this is not about gender. There's no implication here that God is, is male. In fact, on the very first page of the Bible, it's very clear that God reveals himself not as male. Uh, male and female is his image. So this is not about God being male, and this is not about Mary being excluded in a patriarchal society. In, in fact, I think Mary would know that she's actually included in the firstborn son notion. It's a collective concept, that's a little bit strange for us, but Mary sees herself as part of the Israel as the firstborn son. And to claim that identity for Mary, she knows it's gonna be profoundly subversive in a patriarchal culture in which she lives. It's actually quite empowering because she knows that the firstborn son enjoyed an uncommon status, privilege, and intimacy with an ancient patriarchal father. And so to be included in that metaphor is to say that you have a status that the society around you don't have, that you have a privilege in this community that you don't have outside of this community. But still, it's striking. My father, this is new. This is surprising. This is scandalous. Luke is right to say they don't understand it. They do not understand it. Who could understand it? Because Jesus is not just assuming a status or an intimacy with God. He's actually claiming a nature, that there's something in his own being that is like unto the being of divinity. Remember what the creed says. True God from true God. Begotten, not made of one being with the Father. There's a claim here that Jesus has what you and I in our natural condition do not have. Jesus has it, and you and I don't have it in our natural condition. What is it? Spiritual life, that's the claim. He has spiritual life. See, the Bible tells us there are two types of life. 
There is physical life and spiritual life. C.S. Lewis calls these bios and zoe. Bios is physical life, zoe is spiritual life. Bios is the life that we have because God made us in his image. Uh, Zoe is the spiritual life that God has in himself and it's the life that Jesus is claiming here because he's begotten of the Father. And you know the difference between making something and begetting something. To make something is to create something. To beget something is to become the father of something, right? Birds make nests and birds beget chicks. Beavers make dams and beavers beget little beavers. Sculptors make sculptures and sculptors beget daughters. And the difference between the sculptor's statue and the sculptor's daughter is the difference between biological life and spiritual life, right? There's no way in which a statue becomes a human being uh, by itself. No more could we give ourselves spiritual life than a statue could turn and smile to you one day. No more could we give ourselves spiritual life than a man buried in a coffin beneath the ground could rise and greet a little child running on the cemetery lawn. Is this what scripture means when they say, in that day that you eat of it, the forbidden fruit, you will die? Is this what they mean when they say, you were dead through your trespasses and sins and when she once lived? Is this what they mean when they say she who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives? That by ourselves we are physically alive but we are not spiritually alive by ourselves. This is the surprise of the text. Here's Jesus, begotten, not made, saying, my father. Did you not know that I would be with my father? Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? By the way, this is one of the I must statements we talked about last week. Jesus has a sense of destiny about this identity. He is the son of God born in history to be born in us. That's his mission. And so the deeper surprise of the passage is that through him, you and I can be born of God too. Hold on. What? C.S. Lewis writes, the point in Christianity which gives us the greatest shock, and there are many points, the greatest one though is the statement that by attaching ourselves to Christ, we can become sons of God. We can become daughters of God. Not that we become God, God is unique, but God's life can be begotten in us. This is not new. In the second century, Irenaeus writes, through his transcendent love, our Lord Jesus Christ became what we are that he might make us become what he is, son of God. Is this what he means when he tells Mary and Joseph that he must be about his father's business? Is this it? Is this what he means when he tells that great religious leader, Nicodemus, what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Is this what the scriptures mean when they say he made us alive together with Christ? Is this what they mean when they say he gave us birth by the word of truth? Is this what they mean when they say he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done on our own, but according to his mercy through the waters of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit? 
Is this what they mean when they say, by his great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? That those who are spiritually dead can experience a second birth in this life. That those who have bios can also receive the gift of Zoe. That as Lewis says, there is a rumor going around the workshop that statues are coming to life spiritual life, eternal life. This is good news. That even, and I speak of myself, rebels and sinners can come to God by faith and turn to God, come to God the Son by faith and turn to God the Father and say, our Father. Wow. Yes, they were right not to understand. Who could understand this? This has never happened in history. The Bible says that without divine Regeneration, that's the fancy theological word, we lack spiritual perception. We can't even perceive the fullness of life. We don't see it. Maybe this is why our prayer life is as flat as it is. What is George Whitfield once asked? A symphony to one without hearing, a painting to one without sight. What is a feast without taste? What is a meadow without smell? How can we experience the beauty of God without a new heart and a renewed spirit? So this is the great surprise of the text, that we're offered a new birth in Jesus Christ. We come to Advent searching for the Son, and what we find with Mary and Joseph is a new kind of a relationship with God, a new kind of life altogether, a new quality of life, a new dimension of life. This is a surprise. Before receiving this gift from Christ, we're like a a phone that's in airplane mode. God is all around us, but we're not picking up a signal. And so there's an invitation to flip the setting. And so there's a call to response, as there always is with the good news of Jesus. And it's this, come, let his father be your father and let his life be your life. It's as simple as that, but what could be more wonderful? Here's the invitation of the text, Treasuring, treasuring. Luke tells us his mother treasured all these things in her heart, which means she, she opens her life like a treasure. She receives everything she can take from her son Jesus. She values it, she holds onto it. It's too early for her to really grasp the notion of the new life, but it is not too early for her to be grasped by it. She's opening herself to life in her son. I'll take all of that you've got. Mary, by the way, is a wonderful model of discipleship for us in the Gospel of Luke. She's, she's demonstrating for us what we're invited to do. In the depths of her being, she's treasuring life in Christ. And so we could imagine her praying. Listen, here's, here's Mary praying, I think. She, she's saying, our father, can I say that? Our Father, her son will teach her to pray this way, won't he, soon. And so she says, our Father, you gave this boy life through me, physical life. Could it be, our Father, that you will give me life through him, spiritual life? Could you, would you? In Bethlehem, we find Phillips Brooks praying, and I think he's praying with Mary. Don't you think so? 
be born in me today? That's his prayer. And listen to the words he writes. God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. Where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Be born in me today, in me. That's the invitation of the text. That's the new life in Christ. That's the new birth. So I, I want to explore this with you, uh, this Advent season. I want to treasure this with you. So I'm asking myself as I'm preparing these messages, what is the new birth? Do I believe it? Have I received it? What are the implications of this birth for my relationship with God? What are the implications of this birth for my identity? And what are the implications for the way I live my life? Not out of my old identity, but an entirely new identity. An identity I receive in this birth from Jesus. Now I know for some of us, this is really new. You might be thinking today, I didn't know about the new birth. I didn't know about this. I've heard the phrase born again, but I didn't know that for Jesus, that phrase is not a political term or a tribal marker for a certain religious subculture. That, that for Jesus, this new birth is a different kind of life, a different reality, a different dimension, so to speak. And you're saying, wow, this is really new. If that's you, I, I wanna invite you this Advent to explore this, to actually to pray this prayer, to invite God to give you a, a new birth, to come with Mary, to open yourself up to Jesus and treasure what he's come to give. Ask him to be born in you. This is what the season is all about. This is the greatest gift you could give anybody or the greatest gift you can receive. If you'd like to do that today, this is the moment. Perhaps the Spirit is making this seem plausible to you. That's a gift. Receive it today. Come to upc.org slash Jesus and click the yes button. Click the button in the chat. Check the box in the connect card. Come forward and be prayed for by our prayer team after the service. But come, receive this invitation. Now, for, for others of us, this is not new. Uh, you've already said yes to Jesus. You've already experienced the new birth by faith. Not that you feel different, but you're gonna claim that that's a reality Jesus gave you because he promises to, and you've said yes to him. But for you, this is not new, but this is an invitation to renew, to renew your spiritual life, to be renewed. This is an invitation to re renewal. You might be saying, you know, I forgot. <laughs> I just... I forgot that Jesus is not trying to improve my life or fix my life or somehow get me to accept my life as it is. Jesus is trying to give me a whole new life. He's trying to give me a new quality of life, his life, divine life. I forgot. I, I forget that true life is not the one that comes from my own righteousness or lack of righteousness, but it comes from his righteousness as a gift. The reformers called it an alien righteousness. It comes from outside of you, but it, comes, it starts to do its work within you. You say, oh, I forgot that the Holy Spirit wants to do a deep and powerful work in my inner being. The Holy Spirit wants to renew me so that my actions can grow out of an entirely new identity, an entirely new nature. This is renewal. 
And I wanna invite you this Advent season to do the work of spiritual renewal. Now you don't need the new birth again, just like when you were born physically, that's good for your whole life. Same way when you're born spiritually, that's good for all of eternity. You don't need to pray for a new birth, but when you pray that prayer, be born in me today, what you're praying is for the Holy Spirit to activate that nature within you, to activate that new life of Christ within you, to bring it to life. This is your prayer for renewal. And if, you, and if that's where you are this Advent, then I would invite you to, to, to come to upc.org slash prayer and click the pray button. Pray with somebody about that or come forward again with the prayer team after the service or uh, click the, uh, check the button in the, in the connect card. So new or renewal, let's together treasure. Let's join Mary in treasure. Frankly, let me just say, here's my concern. This is my real concern. That, that in all of our Christianity, we would lose Jesus. It is possible, you know. That's the teaching of this text. My concern is that today, what mo- many of us, so many of us call Christianity, and I'm putting air quotes on that, has become little more than just another non-Christian ideology. I haven't thought this until recently that we need to start even thinking about Christianity as a non-Christian ideology because that's all it is if Jesus isn't there. Remember what Paul would say in the last days, people would come who would be holding on to the outward form of godliness but denying its power. That's 2 Timothy 3, 5. And if Christianity has become nothing more than be nice, don't be a jerk, live responsibly, (laughs) we're in trouble. I mean, that's good, don't get me wrong, but that's the form of godliness without the power, without the life, without the Holy Spirit. And if that's what quote, Christianity has become. Well, we can talk about Jesus. We can have our own version of Jesus. But if that's what Christianity has become, it's no wonder the culture is losing interest. They already have that. Be nice. Don't be a jerk. Live responsibly. No. We're talking about the living Jesus. Finally, Mary and Joseph found him as we need to find him. And they, and they sit with the living Jesus, the one that, whom we meet in the, in the scriptures, the one who steps out of the scriptures and into our lives with power. Finally, let me just say, I really like this Advent story. Can you tell? I really like this story. You know the stories of the Magi and the shepherds and everything. This is my favorite. Because, you know, I, I think I, I, maybe I'm not smart enough to come to Jesus as the wise men did. I mean, they came with like their smarts or, or innocent enough to come as the shepherds came and they seem like such nice people. But here's a story for those of us who've already gotten lost. Not only that, we've, we've actually lost the Savior. <laughs> and we come to him with lives we know are disordered and screwed up. And he receives us and he welcomes us and he invites us. I love this story. If you're like me, you come to this story eager to hear what Jesus said to Nicodemus. And maybe we're the kind of people who are willing to hear it even if we're not sure really what it means. And these are the words. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. You must be born again. So let's pray this prayer together this Advent season. Let's pray it together. Let's work it hard. Be born in us today. Lord, that's our prayer. 
You were born for this reason. Not just so that you could have life on this planet, but that we could have life on this planet and life abundantly and live it to the full and live it for all of eternity. This is the gift you've come to give. So be born in us, we pray. Would you clear away all the clutter and obstacles and noise that keeps us from receiving this gift? Grant that your Holy Spirit would overcome our defenses to release us. Let the captives be freed. We pray for a new birth. We pray for a new life. We pray for revival and renewal here in our time and place, Lord. We pray it for your glory that we might truly love you as you have loved us and we might truly love our neighbors as we have been loved by you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.